that question of being surprised, it was Lois Lane who, who said it. Well, you know who that is, right? It's, he's, uh, Lois Lane is um, Clark Kent's girlfriend, right? Wannabe girlfriend. And she said it well. She said, I like being surprised as long as I know about it in advance. <laughs> All right? I think I agree. Take, for example, the surprise birthday party. Do you like that? Some of you are like, yeah, I love that. And others are like, nah, I'm never really sure, personally. I'm never really sure how to respond to that. And am I doing a good enough job letting them know they did a good job doing this? Uh, it's just kind of awkward for me. Or what about the surprise visit? Oh, well, Aunt Nellie, you and Uncle Frank came to visit here on Friday all the way from Kansas for the weekend. Huh, we didn't know you were coming. What a pleasant surprise, right? That's not one you're looking for, right? You love Aunt Nellie, you love Uncle Frank, but you kind of like to know ahead of time. Or how about the surprise date? Hey, honey, be ready at 7 o'clock. I'm picking you up. Wear something nice. Should I eat beforehand? or I don't know. Wear something nice. What does that mean? We're going four-wheeling. I don't know. You know, I don't know how to behave in those kind of surprises. And, and, and there's a lot of reasons that people don't know how to behave. There's the awkwardness of not knowing how to react. Some people just don't like being the center of attention. And if they do like being the center of attention, they want it under their terms, right? And other people, it's just kind of embarrassing. There was a guy who was writing, and I found this online this week, in a sort of an online forum, and he, he asked a question. He said, I've made all these plans for my wife for a surprise six weeks from now, and I've told her, I've involved a lot of her friends, and I've told her, I have a surprise for you in six weeks, and she's unhappy. She says knowing about that just makes the next six weeks really stressful. What am I doing wrong? And buddy, did people answer him. You know, everybody had an opinion on that. But there was this one subset of answers that that went kind of like this. Surprises can be a problem because number one, they take away our control by force and they give it to someone else. And number two, surprises can take away our sense of security and force us to trust somebody else. Number three, surprises rely on that other party who's doing the surprising to know what I like and what I don't like and to know what would be good for me and what wouldn't be good for me. If you think about it, appreciating surprises really requires just a couple elements. The first of those elements would be a pretty high level of trust. A big Being surprised requires letting the other person control that situation and choosing what you're going to experience and acting on what he or she thinks you will like. I've got to trust them. And if I don't trust them, that kind of messes up the whole surprise element. The second element that is in surprise is a high level of insight on the part of the person who's doing the surprising. That that person has a great responsibility to choose that which is good and would not injure and to, to pick that which will make the other person feel safe and not frighten them and, and to know what is valued to that person that you're surprising. And so I kind of have a question. How was Abram to feel when God surprised him? in Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to put the verse on the screen. You tell me how you would feel. It says, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. 
Think about that. God said to Abram, leave what you know. I have a surprise for you. I'm not going to tell you what it's like. It's a surprise. And I'm not going to tell you even where you're going. Just get going. It's a surprise. And Abram goes. There's a couple elements in play here. One, God has given Abram the reason to believe that he's trustworthy. And two, Abram is willing to trust. Now today, in our Bible story series, we're going to look at this passage and a couple others. We're going to look at Abram's call and the promises of God embedded in that call and how they relate to us. This story covers several chapters in the Bible, so there's a Bible app event for this. We'll begin in Genesis chapter 12, and you'll want to have your Bible open there throughout the message because we're going to take it kind of a verse at a time. Uh, If you would follow along, that will be helpful to you. This call and covenant that God presents really shows us how God involves himself in our lives. There's an author named Francis Schaeffer who passed away some time ago. He wrote a book. It was a relatively short book compared to others that he had written. And the title was this, He is There and He is Not Silent. Schaeffer's talking about God. I'm going to be real honest with you. I never read the book. I think the only people that would have read this book is Matt McCracken and Laurel Shields in this congregation, maybe someone else. It's a philosophical work. He is there, Schaefer says, and he is not silent. And what he's telling us, and I love the title of the book because what the title tells us is that there is a God who is present and who speaks to us and interacts in our life, involves himself in our life. And today I want to show you how In these covenants, God involves himself in Abram's life and eventually in our own. Now, I'm thinking to myself, how do I preach a sermon on the covenant of God? And some people see these as three different covenants. Others see it as one covenant that's being unfolded. That's how we're going to approach it today, as one covenant that's being unfolded. And I thought, how do I preach on Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17? How do I cover that much ground? And here's how I'm going to do it. On each of these unfoldings of the covenant, we're going to look at the first action verb that God gives to Abram. And when we're reading the passage we're going to read first in Genesis 12, that action verb is go. So if your Bible's open to Genesis 12, we're just going to read three verses. Follow along silently as I read. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That is the Abrahamic covenant. In its first and in its most concise appearance. It is respoken twice more in the book of Genesis. It is, and listen to this sentence because I do not say it carelessly, it is one of the most important passages in the whole of Scripture. It is one of the most important set of words in the whole world. These three verses are revered in Christianity. They are revered in Judaism. They are revered even in Islam. God promises Abram blessing. 
And at the end of verse 3, he promises that what Christians, he promises what Christians see as the messianic blessing. He says in that last part of verse 3, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. And I understand that. We understand that. He is speaking about Jesus, the Messiah, who will ultimately come from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, etc., etc., until in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord has been born. All the nations of earth will be blessed through him, all the people of earth. As you think about it, this first word, go, you realize that it's pretty clear that Abram's leaving something behind. Abram's leaving his country, and I don't know how patriotic he was. You know, his country was a city. In that time in human history, countries were called city-states. We don't know a lot about Abram's loyalties to Ur of the Chaldeans. We don't know a lot about Ur of the Chaldeans, period. But we know that it lay in what we thought of and have thought of for, for decades, if not generations. It lay in the in the cradle of civilization. And we know that, that ancient people outside the city could be as barbarous, bar- barbarous as people today, almost, right? And that when you were in the city-state, one of the reasons it was established is to protect you from the old wild west that's out there. And so leaving there for Abram would have involved a risk. But he's not just leaving his city, his country behind. He's leaving his people. And you've done that on a much smaller scale, probably. I mean, right now, there are students graduating from high school or graduating from college, and they're glad they're graduating. Whew, thank God I'm done with that. A lot of them are. But there's a part of them that says, these are my people. I've been with these people, a high school graduate might say, for 15 years, depending on how well he's done along the way, right? These are my people. I'm leaving them behind. Or maybe you left a job where the other people you worked with weren't just fellow employees. This is my family. I'm leaving them behind. Or maybe in the military. These are my brothers, my sisters that I've battled with. I hate leaving them behind. Abram is leaving every person he's ever known and loved behind. And he is leaving his family behind. No living in the parents' basement for Abram. He's going. Going means leaving something behind, and in this case, it means accepting a certain degree of uncertainty. And when we're traveling, I need to know where we're going. Where are we going? That's a secret. No, don't do that to me. I want to know where we're going. But when God tells Abram to go, he doesn't even tell him where he's going to. And Abram goes, even though he's unsure. There's the first statement of a covenant to Abraham. Let's go ahead to Genesis chapter 15. Do you want to flip over there? We'll be in verse 5, and the verses following there examine the the second rendering, the second unfolding of this covenant for Abraham. And here we find a different command. It's not go, it's really look. Look at verse 5 of Genesis 15. And, And what we're invited to do is look at what God has in mind. It says, he took him outside. So God takes Abraham outside of the tent. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. The next verse, verse 6 says, Abram believed the Lord, 
and he credited it to him as righteousness. God has in mind a plan to produce a holy people, a people after his own heart, a people he will love, a people who will trust him. And what God is saying in this unfolding of the covenant is, look what I have in mind. And then God continues. As he continues, Abram is invited to look at what he's done. He talks about where he has brought him from and where he has brought him to. Look at verse 7. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. God is saying, look what I have done. And as we read on, we're invited to look at what God is doing. The very next verse, read it with me. It says, but Abram said, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, bring, a, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. That's exactly what I would have done, wouldn't you? <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. What is going on there? Abram seems to know that God wants him to take these animals, to cut them in two, and to arrange the halves symmetrically opposite one another. Abram does know that because this was the way the ancients would enter into covenantal relationship with one another. After the animals were laid out this way, each of the two parties would walk between the pieces. In fact, some refer to this as the covenant of the pieces. They would walk between them and walking between the animals was a way of signifying that may I become like these dead animals on either side of me if I do not keep my promise and my oath. I think we should do wedding ceremonies that way. (laughs) You see what God is saying? He's saying, look what I am doing. Abraham doesn't walk through there. Maybe it's because God never told him to walk through there. That would make sense. Maybe it's because he didn't know the terms. More likely, it's just because God is saying, look what I am doing, not you. After Abram had separated the pieces, he waited for evidently quite a while. If you read verse 11, it says, the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. God had a reason for the waiting thing. He wanted to speak to Abram. He wanted to say, look what I am doing. And then God shows himself in a most striking setting. Read verse 17. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and thick, a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Hmm. Do you remember last week when we were talking, we were talking a little bit about Sarah? Do you remember I, I, I mentioned, I asked you the question, Should Christians fear God? And then we talked about that a little bit, and I said, the short answer is, yep, we should. We don't fear him with a cowering kind of fear, but rather with a deep respect and appreciation for who he is, his grandeur, his greatness, his holiness, his distinct otherness. I think of the apostle when he said to Jesus, get away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. 
He's so different than us in that regard that we have a reverential fear of him. Well, verse 12 drives this home for Abram. Thick and dreadful darkness. The Hebrew word means fear, terror, dread, horror. Think of the most frightened you've ever been in your life. This past week, Laurel and I were traveling through a town in rural Pennsylvania. I was in my little um, Camry, you know, with the hood that kind of goes down. I like to think I'm in a Corvette when I'm in that. You know, it has a pointy nose. There's a guy coming, there's, it was in, I think it was in Reynoldsville, and they have the, the, the parking that goes in kind of at an angle. Do they call that diagonal parking? I can't remember. And, and, and as I'm driving along, there's a pickup truck coming to me, and the guy's got like huge tires on. He's got it jacked up way up in the air. It's the thing that'll drive right over me, you know. I'm not bothered though, because I'm in my lane, and he's in his lane until one of those diagonal parkers pulls out. And he's going at a pretty good clip. He can't stop. And he's not paying attention. And now he's in my lane. This close. Terror. Fear. (laughs) That kind of feeling. Think of that moment that that happened to you. This is worse. It's a thick darkness. It's a dreadful darkness. Why? Why is God, who is light, doing this? Here's why. Because this is a monumental instant in human history. This is a really big deal in human history. And God is saying, look at what I'm doing. Look at what I'm doing. And then God makes a promise. He promises to be with Abram's children. Look at verse 13. It says, the Lord said to him, know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they'll be enslaved and mistreated there. We know what that is. That's Egypt, right? And then in verse 14, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You you know, that ought to bring to your mind the whole plagues of Egypt and the drowning of the Egyptian army in, in the Red Sea. And then you keep reading in verse 15, you, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. That's what I want right there. That's a good thing. And then verse 16, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Man, I'd like to just preach on that last verse, right? (laughs) That's fascinating. But what I want to preach on today and what I want you to hear today is what God is saying. Look what I'm doing. Look what I'm doing. And then he promises to reward Abram's people. Read verse 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Kadamites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. If you have been paying attention, if you have been paying attention over the past several weeks, you know those are the children of Ham. I'm going to give you their land. God is saying, look what I'm doing. And then at last, God confirms the covenant. And he does it alone. Remember, the covenant of the pieces is a covenant where each of us, me and you, in turn, walk between those animals saying, if I break this covenant, may what has happened to these animals be done unto me. But look at verse 17. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Smoke fire. 
two manifestations of God's presence that come up later as God leads Israel out of Egypt. Just in case you don't have it memorized, I'll put Exodus 13, 21 on the screen for you. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night. The fact that God passes through these pieces and Abram doesn't shows that this promise depends on God and God alone. It does not depend on Abram. He didn't walk through the pieces. It doesn't depend on Isaac. It doesn't depend on Jacob. It doesn't depend on Steve Shields. It doesn't depend on you. It depends on God and God alone. I want to read something to you. This is how Ray Vanderlund and Judith Markham explain this in the book of uh, the book they have called Echoes of His Presence. It's maybe 10 or 15 sentences. Listen as I read it. Imagine the creator, the creator of the universe, the holy and righteous God, was willing to leave heaven and come down to a nomad's tent in the dusty, hot desert of Negev to express his love for his people. I love you so much, Abraham, God was saying, and I promise that this covenant will come true for you and your children. I will never break my covenant with you. I am willing to put my own life on the line to make you understand. Picturing God pass through the gory path between the carcasses of animals helps us recognize the faithfulness of God's commitment. He was willing to express in terms his chosen people could understand that he would never fail to do what he promised. God is making a promise to all the descendants of Abraham, to everyone in the household of faith. We're not simply individuals in relationship to God. We're part of a long line of people marching back through history from our famous Jewish ancestors, David, Hezekiah, and Peter, to the millions of unknown believers, from the ancient Israelites and the Jewish people of Jesus' day, to the Christian community dating from the early church. We're part of a community of people with whom God established a relationship in the dust and sand of the Negev. When God made this covenant with people, with his people, he did something no human being would have even considered doing. In the usual blood covenant, each party was responsible for keeping only his side of the promise. When God made the covenant to Abraham, however, he promised to keep both sides of the agreement. If this covenant is broken, Abraham, for whatever reason, my unfaithfulness or yours, I will pay the price, said God. And at that moment, Almighty God pronounced the death sentence on his son, Jesus. God is saying, look what I am doing. Look what I am doing. Wow, there's so much more I'd like to say about that unfolding of the covenant. But let's move to the third one. Let's go to Genesis chapter 13 and come to our third verb. And this verb is walk. If you look at Genesis 17, did I say 13? Because I meant 17. Look at Genesis 17, and the third verb is walk. God reiterates this covenant. He unfolds it in 17.1. Read along with me. 
When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Walk before me. This is how you should live, God is saying. You know what it means to walk in this context, right? I mean, when God walks before people, when God is walking before us, he is providing guidance and he's providing protection. But when people walk before God, they are serving as his emissary, his ambassador, his representative. God is saying to Abraham, I want you to be my representative. I want you to walk before me. I want you to show people what I am like. My holiness, my purity, my love, my grace, my mercy, my justice, my nature. Walk before me. Show people that. Read more in this chapter and you see God is, you you can see actually God's part of the covenant. I mean, read with me verse two. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down. I mean, that's all he's doing here. He doesn't do anything else. Abram falls face down. And God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you the father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations come from you. Kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And then God goes into more detail and establishes the mark of the covenant, the, the, sac, the, the uh, circumcision. And by the way, circumcision didn't make Abraham belong to God. It showed, marked him as one of God's. What God is saying here is, here's how to live. So the question becomes, what does this mean to us? And I would say this covenant overflows into our lives. In numerous places, the one I'm going to show you is in the New Testament book of Galatians. In chapter 3, verse 29, we learn that we're actually children of Abraham. The scripture says in Galatians 3.29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abram's seed and heirs according to the promise. What promise? The one we just read three times. The covenant. Scripture teaches that the offspring of Abram isn't just physical in nature, rather, instead it is spiritual in nature. So the covenant tells you that you can trust God. You can go where he invites you to go or instructs you to go. I'm not saying you're supposed to go to a distant land. I'm not saying you're supposed to become a missionary or a pastor. In a Christian missionary alliance, when we hear the word go, that's immediately what we think. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord, to the regions beyond, right? Maybe. Maybe God does have have that in mind for you. But maybe... Going, trusting God in going, is more of an everyday thing for all of us. Maybe going is more of an internal thing than an external thing. Maybe going is leaving things that are displeasing to him behind. I don't say that just randomly. 
Rabbinic tradition tells us that Abram's father, Terah, was an idolater. In fact, some of it tells us, some of the historical sources that are, I don't know how much we can rely on, but it's all we got. Some of them say that he actually made and sold idols. Go down to your neighborhood idol shop, Abraham's or Abram at that time. Dad has just what you need. Regardless, we know that he worshiped idols. We know he served false god because Joshua 24.2 says that he does. So think about it. When God called Abram to leave his family, to leave his country, to leave all he knew, he was actually telling him, turn away from the ungodly influence that is there. Get away from it. And he calls us to turn away from sin. He calls us to a better place. And this covenant tells us we can trust him. That real faith does trust him. That he has a better place for us to go. The covenant tells us that we can trust God. We can go. And the covenant tells us that he always does the heavy lifting. That has become cliche in my preaching, but I like it and I'm going to keep using it. God does the heavy lifting. Man, if I hear Pastor Steve say that again. We had that driving teacher who said, you know, you know, you know, and we used to keep a tally of how many times he said that in a 40-minute class period. Pastor Steve says, God does the heavy lifting. I'm up to 30 times he said it in the past month. I'm sticking with it. It's good, you know? (laughs) Look at what he's done. Look at what he's done. For Abram, he passed through the pieces. For you and me, he died on a cross. He paid for our sin. He purchased our forgiveness. He gives his Holy Spirit to live inside of us. He brings direction to our life. He gives the promise of the hope of eternal life. He walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. And he does all of this through Christ, making us one of his children. What do we do? We receive it. (laughs) And we live a life of gratitude. God does the work in the covenant. And the covenant tells us that God shows, (laughs) that God gives us purpose that we get to show his nature to others. We get to walk. That's what Abraham was told to do. Do you remember chapter 17, the last part of verse one of that chapter says, I am God almighty, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. God says, walk, walk before me. And that is what we get to do. To live lives of holiness, faithfulness, justice, mercy, grace, Forgiveness, love. We get to walk (laughs) before him. In all of this, we find that Abraham is noted for one thing. And my guess is that if there were enough people listening, there'd be a significant number would say, hey, Pastor Steve, you kind of forgot the most important part. No, I'm just saving it for the end. (laughs) The best for last, so to speak. It is the theme of these covenants when it comes to Abraham's response. It is the theme of Scripture. It it runs the length of Scripture. And it's found first, I read it to you earlier, in Genesis 15, 6. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. 
It says that again in the Old Testament in the Psalms, and then it says it in the New Testament like it is the heartbeat of our faith. Romans chapter 4, verse 3 reads, What does Scripture say? Abraham, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And then again in Romans chapter 4, verse 9, Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. And then in Galatians chapter 3, verse 6, So Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And then in the book of James chapter 2, verse 23, And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friends. This is what God calls you to. This is a covenant that he desires to engage you in, a covenant where you trust him and respond in faith. Not the kind of faith that's going to get you the Mercedes Benz. That's <laughs> so childish, so shallow. The kind of faith where you get to go and you get to look at what he's doing and you get to walk before him. God calls you to turn away from whatever might be replacing him and leave those things behind. Go to a place that I will show you. And God calls you to trust him, to trust Christ and to look upon the one who has been crucified for you. Place your faith in him. And he calls you to be his representative, to walk in a manner worthy of the covenant, worthy of your calling. I want to pray that you and I would do that. So if you're comfortable doing so, let's stand together. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for your word. It is pretty amazing to us, God, when we consider that you left heaven and came down to the sand of the Negev to a guy living in a tent and said, I want to establish a covenant with you. And through this covenant, through you, all the peoples of earth will be blessed. And that those of us trusting in Christ, we are those people. Sometimes I think of Abraham, how one of those stars had been lit for me. It is amazing. As we hear you call us to go, to leave behind that which is displeasing to you and fails to represent your character, we go. We go away from that to a place we do not know, but we trust you. Because we look at what you have done, sending your son, Jesus, for us. Walking through the pieces, but not with the blood of animals, but with the blood of Christ. We look to him to carry the covenant as he carried the cross and to pay for our redemption. And we walk in this life as your representatives, 
knowing God, we are completely incapable of doing that apart from your spirit's empowerment and sustaining supernatural ability. May we walk as men and women worthy of the covenant, worthy of the cross, worthy of our calling. In Christ's name, amen.